Hello, film fans, and welcome to A Very Good Year, a new podcast where we invite a guest, a filmmaker, writer, actor, comedian, musician, really anybody who loves movies, and invite them to pick their favorite year of movies and tell us all about it. I'm Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host. Michael Hull. And our guest today is uh, just one hell of a film critic and scholar, uh, bylines of the New York Times and The Guardian, The Ringer, many more. He's an alum of the AV Club and The Dissolve, uh, and co-writes The Reveal at Substack and co-hosts The Next Picture Show podcast with friend of the show, Keith Phipps. Uh, Please welcome the very talented, the very intelligent, and the very lovely Scott Tobias. Uh, Hello, Scott. Hey, guys. Uh, Thanks for inviting me uh, on here. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for for doing this and for uh, for entering us into a decade that uh, that we haven't talked about yet on the show, uh, which is new. But there are a a few decades we've we've visited a few times already. Um, Scott, tell us what year you chose and why you chose that one in particular. Yeah, okay, so we actually had a project uh, back at the AV Club uh, called My Favorite Movie Year. And right. Which, we, in, in, in which, which is exactly what it sounds like, where we kind of went through and, and uh, picked, a, picked a year, did a top five, kind of talked about the major films of that year, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of did my, you know, I did, did the work on it and kind of went through every year and looked at all the titles and, and um, and I really expected to land on you know some Hollywood Renaissance ish year in the <laughs> in the seventies or right. some particularly meaningful year. You know, I mean, obviously, a lot of people love nineteen ninety nine is a, is a, is one one that is that uh, was pretty important. It was important to me. It was my first year as a professional right. critic, and uh, and uh, I certainly did not. Exp- and some people would say, you know, whatever nineteen thirty nine. That's another popular one, but. I certainly did. I did not expect to land on the fifties and, right. uh, uh, and, and for one as a decade. And then as I looked at it more closely, I, I found that there were several years within the fifties that, that were contenders. And then in the 1955, just like completely popped out at me. And, and I think it popped out at me because of how bold it was. I mean, I think there was a, it was a time when, when filmmakers and when when studios were trying to really um, grab viewers, I mean, there's a lot of you know Vista Vision and CinemaScope, and you know the films that were in black and white were in you know a beautiful, rich, high contrast black and white, and right. the films that were in color were just they, they sort of popped. And you've got a lot, of, you know, even though it was before you know the french new wave or, or some of those these other sort of more modernist movements that were were, were going to take over europe there were still a lot of really bold visions that we were that that were coming from all over the world it was just it was it was so immediate like looking at the titles in 55 it was not a question for me it was i was very surprised i i want to get back to talking about the 50s sort of in general in a moment i did want to mention um, you know, we had Keith on uh, on an earlier show, and he he brought up this feature to me when we were talking about it. That and he actually um, uh, reversed himself and chose a different year to talk about on the show. Wow! Um, but in in the process of looking that up and then looking up yours to prep for today, you know, I don't remember reading this feature at the time. But as I was looking it over, I was like, did I steal the entire podcast? <laughs> <laughs> from this feature because it's strikingly similar 
it is yeah. like pick a year, do a top five, talk about a few others. Like I'm, I, 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 I truly, whoever thought it up, if I subconsciously stole from you, I apologize. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was something when, when I was, when you, when you announced the podcast, I was like, I was like, damn, Sign me up. I can do this. This is going to be a piece of yeah. cake for me. I got it all. I got a, I got a, I got a, I got an outline all set up. <laughs> we pride ourselves on not asking the guests to do a lot of homework, but Scott had to do even less than anyone else. No, you're, yeah, I would say <laughs> opening up my browser. Yeah. Um, but I do want to, you know, this, this take on the fifties and, and, and not just this year, but you know, as you mentioned, there were a couple that, that we've talked about offline from this same decade is sort of counter to the current narrative. You know, there's, there are, I mean, there's, there's one particularly high profile film enthusiast who quite recently talked about what a drag the fifties were. Um, There's sort of this, this, uh, this narrative that it was this sort of dull period of sort of atrophied studio filmmaking. And that, you know, that we had to, to, to sort of pull out of that and that the sixties, then is, you know, leaning us into new Hollywood and into, you know, the seventies. So, I mean, when you hear that opinion, which I've heard more than a few times over the years, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, what, how do you react to that when you hear it? What's your sort of any thoughts you might have on why that is sort of a, a popular theory? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, to me, the response is kind of the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I just start mentioning titles, right? Um, but, but uh, you know, I, I can see that because it doesn't. Because when you, you know, when you talk about major movements um, and developments, both in Hollywood and abroad, the fifties are not really included in any of those conversations. You talk, you're talking about the French New Wave. You're not talking really talking about the fifties. You're talking about you know Italian neorealism. Uh, you're maybe you're talking a decade before generally. Right. Um, the golden age of Hollywood. That's this is past that, you know. And then it's before when thing when everybody got cool and made right, mo- you know, progressive modern, you know, rule breaking movies that came later. So it's like, what, what? How do you even define this patch of movies in between? And yet, when you actually dig in there and look, and you see films by Douglas Sirk and Nicholas Ray and Alfred Hitchcock and, and um, you know, really all of them at the top of their games. Yeah. HG Clouseau, um, uh, you know, dryer, like there's a, you know, Kurosawa, there, there's so many people who are doing incredible work and they were doing a, a work of, of great ambition and scale. Um, they're working on um, with film like um, techniques and, and with film like uh, uh, technologies that, that were um, bold and, exciting to the eye um i don't know i i I have a lot of affinity for this period i I, you know and again it was unexpected for me this is i said i i when i went through i was expecting to choose another another i was not expecting to choose uh anything from the 50s and i went through and was like whoa i've completely underestimated how good this is right well and i think the other thing that's important to to sort of mention and then and then we'll get moving is the, the 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 key piece of context uh, for if if you're not sort of schooled in the period is that a lot of the sort of big bold 
you know, techniques and, and advances and some would even say gimmicks that that sort of defined big studio filmmaking in the 50s were a pretty direct response to the threat of television that yeah. it was starting to take over and it was a free at home form of entertainment. And so there was a lot of pressure uh, on filmmakers and on studios to m- <laughs> imagine this, to make movie making an event that you needed to leave the home for and to, to, <laughs> to push spectacle and, and uh, you had to see it on the big screen and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, CinemaScope and Vista vision and I mean, th- these were the high frame rates of their day. <laughs> 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 and, well I, and I have to say, I have to say, you know, I, I have a preference there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we dig into this, uh, this fascinating top five list, we're going to take a peek at what was happening outside the uh, ornate movie palaces. Uh, here's headlines. 1955 was all about the Cold War and putting nukes on stuff. And okay. people have an ideas for putting nukes in places where they definitely should never have gone. Uh, in January, the U.S. launched the USS Nautilus, which was the world's first nuclear-powered submarine. And we also announced plans to put nuclear warheads on intercontinental ballistic missiles. And that has pretty much defined how the world will end ever since. Uh, that's still basically the plan, is just to shoot nuclear warhead missiles at everybody that we don't like. Uh, right. And then they'll shoot them at us. And so that's, that was really all set up in, in 55. We also flew um, U-2 spy planes for the first time in 1955. I was workshopping a joke about U-2 spy planes on everyone's iPhones, even though they didn't ask. For, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't make it. I couldn't make it land. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to talk about how all this was solved by a computer that learned to play tic-tac-toe. But, uh... <laughs> Claudette Colvin uh, was a 15-year-old black girl in Montgomery, Alabama, who was beat up and removed from a bus for refusing to give her seat to a shitty white lady. Uh, This happened in the same year Rosa Parks had become famous for doing it. I've heard many times, uh, many people say that basically the rage and frustration over the way Colvin was treated paved the road for the boycott that would come after Parks was arrested. Um, It was one of those things where not a lot of white people knew the story of Claudette Colvin, but every black person did. Um, so then when white people heard about Rosa Parks, the sort of foundation was laid for the bus boycott and everything that would happen. So a big major shout out to Claudette Colvin. Uh, Emmett Till was murdered in 1955 as well. There are lots of movies and other ways to find out more about that. Uh, but just let me say that that awful white lady, Carolyn Bryant, who lied on him is still alive and has hopefully not known a day of peace in her entire wretched life. Uh, I think that's a position that very good year is willing to stand on. Yeah. Uh, Richard J. Daly became the mayor of Chicago for the first, but very much not the last time in 1955. (laughs) Our, our guest is a, uh, is a Chicago resident. Uh, Scott, anything you'd like to say about the legacy of one Richard Daly? Well, I mean, the good news is that, is that, uh, is that another Daly lost, uh, Yay! The, the, but the, the bad news is that our mayor is Lori Lightfoot. So there's no, there's no, it's, there's no real good scenario there. There we go. The Salk polio vaccine was approved by the FDA in 1955, which doesn't really seem like a very big deal to us now, but that's only because it worked. Uh, and it imagine happened. that, like everybody yeah, took and it and then the thing went away. Hey. Yeah, so that was a big deal. Uh, the first franchised McDonald's was opened by Ray Kroc. Also in Illinois, Illinois was, there was a lot of things happening in Illinois in 55. I know all about that because of a Michael Keaton movie. 
West Germany became a country and and also joined NATO in 1955. And the Soviet Union uh, declared that their war with Germany was officially over after 16 years at that point. Also, the Warsaw Pact was formed as a counter to NATO. So that's all that Cold War business that I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, That was also happening outside of our country, obviously. And last but not least, the Vietnam Civil War got going. Oh, okay. So how'd that turn out? How'd, How'd that Cold War and that Vietnam War, how'd those go? We haven't destroyed life on Earth yet, so okay, I mean, reasonably well, despite billions dead. Good. All right. So uh, the first Guinness Book of World Records was published, which was started by the same family that started the brewery, in case you've ever wondered in your entire life. I've literally never made that connection before. No, me neither. That had yeah, never occurred true. to me. But that's, yeah, that's The beer what, money that's... paid for the book. <laughs> that's a family of, of wide-ranging interests, and, and hats off to them. <laughs> Fascinating people, yes. Uh, Jim yeah. Henson did the first televised appearance of Kermit the Frog, so that's obviously Yay! fantastic. All yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, also, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and the Mickey Mouse Club both premiered in 1955, so lots of cool shit. Bo Diddley was on TV for the first time. Like you oh, said, like yeah. there was a reason to watch TV. You know? <laughs> that's right. Um, a lot of neat people were born in 1955. Rowan Atkinson, Frankie Knuckles, uh, artist Jeff Koons, K-O-O-N-S, if you don't know anything about Jeff Koons because you don't care about art, you will still like Jeff Koons, even if you don't give a shit about art. So look him up. If you uh, Gilbert Gottfried was born in 55. The, Shout the out to late, Gottfried. Great, late, great Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. The uh, still with us, Jeff Daniels. Uh, Chow Yun-Fat. Griffin Hell Dunn yeah. was born in 55. Uh, D. Snyder, who will still wear leather pants at whatever age he must be. <laughs> Uh, Gary Sinise, DJ Cool Herc, Sandra Bernhard, Willem Dafoe, Billy Bob Thornton. Dream blood rotation right there. Dream blood rotation. <laughs> DJ Cool Herc, Sandra Bernhard, Willem Dafoe, Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg and Bill Nye were also born in 55. Uh, and a lot of like tech people, but fuck those guys. They get plenty of yeah. attention. Yep. The Detroit Red Wings won the Stanley Cup for the last time until 1997. The Brooklyn Dodgers beat the New York Yankees four games to three in the World Series. Uh, Fred Davis beat John Pullman 34 to 37 in the World Snooker Championships. I lost so much money on that game. (laughs) I know, right? And Rocky Marciano beat Archie Moore to defend his heavyweight belt. That was 1955. All right. Thank you, Mike. Shameless uh, appeal to your snooker, uh, the snooker (laughs) listeners in the... uh... Those snooker people, every week we get angry emails. Who won the snooker championship that year, you assholes? All right. Uh, And now our friend Scott Tobias is going to walk us through a top five. Now, Scott, we decided we're going to do this uh, in a ranked order that you have you have taken the bold step of not only picking five, but comparing those five to each other. Yes. Scott, as we mentioned, uh, is an alum of the AV Club and will rank to his heart's content. So, Scott Tobias, what is your number five movie of the year 1955? Okay, my number five is Rafifi. Jules Dassin heist movie, uh, or should I say, even sort of the the heist movie? Uh, yes. It is. It, it is. It is the 
really kind of the gold standard that, that uh, I mean, obviously there have been plenty of excellent heist movies that have come after Rafifi, but, but this is kind of, this is where things, the, the principles of a great heist sequence, especially kind of come from this movie, kind of the, 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 um, uh, the template, you know, if you will, the template. Exactly. So, so there's a, there's about a, the, the, the centerpiece of the film is like about a 30 minute long heist sequence that is done entirely with natural sound and of course they're they're robbers so they're not they're trying not to make a whole lot of noise so it's quite right. a quiet sequence and it's also one uh, uh that mission impossible fans will will will, will recognize where where they are coming <laughs> in from the roof yes. um uh but it is um it's just it, it, it's it, it's a movie that lays out as a good heist movie should uh what everyone's jobs are what their yep. tasks are what they're trying to get accomplished and then, you know, and then when the job itself well, first, happens, there first are... It, of course, first it assembles that crew. Like, that's that's a key part of that Templist is, you know, the gathering the eccentric characters. And then, yeah, yeah. Every, and can, everybody's yeah, got Right, and who can you trust? They're all cons. Right? But, they um, are. But, uh, yeah, so there's that element, too. And so you get a little bit of the the underworld and that that, that kind of atmosphere as well. And, and just a lot of suspense. So, so Rafifi um is number five and that again like i said I, th- I feel like that is the you know standard for heist movies i agree why do you think it because this is you know sort of it's the 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 sort of the heist template variant but is also part of this sort of movement in the 50s of really just terrific french crime movies yeah um what do you think it was about that that country and its filmmakers at that time that gave those movies that made those movies so potent that made them so good at making those i i mean, i don't know other than just having available talent yeah you know what i'm saying like like it just it just happened to be you know um the right um uh group of people who were kind of coming up um at that yeah at that time i i you know i don't know there if there's any more you know it, it, because it's again it's not really about um any coherent movement that you can really point to which is why the right. the 50s become so strange but you have jules dassin and you have hg Clouseau and you have jean-pierre melville yeah. and they're all they're all present and all making movies and they're phenomenal filmmakers but we're all kind of working more or less in the same you know genre and uh and this is the result yeah yeah well and it, yeah and they and there was that sort of i think you know w- this is separate from the french new wave but that sort of i think reverence for american genre film of like the 40s is already starting to sort of you know we see the way that that in french new wave that that influence and and that sort of sense of cool is combined with the French sense of cool, which makes things much cooler. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, and the way that those influences sort of, sort of come, come together with their own and, and make this, this just kind of beautiful, these beautiful objects, the, these films. And the weird part of it too, is that, that, I mean, when you talk about like the French new wave that would follow, a lot of that was sort of re- rejecting the past, the recent past, the cinema of quality, that sort of thing. But these filmmakers, they kind of, they kind of fall outside of that, you know. They're not right. within. They're, they're not part of that the the French New Wave, but they're also um, not making 
types of movies that were that the French New Wave filmmakers were rejecting either. I mean, yeah. is so they're just kind of these weird special cases. You always hear about the the you know obviously the sort of high sequence and and you know getting the team together and I mean you always hear about that that part of the movie and how that became a template. That's why you hear about it, and also because it's fucking really well done. It's there's a lot, mm-hmm. but every time I watch the movie, what I end up walking away from it is is that I always forget about that final sequence when he's driving and like they keep cutting to the sock getting bloodier and bloodier. And like, he's passing out and the little kid is waving the gun around and like, that is, that is amazing, amazing <laughs> storytelling, amazing filmmaking, just like, yeah. and especially at that point in the movie, like it's fucking long. Like you're sort of <laughs> exhausted by all of the terrible things. Like, and it just, you start hallucinating with the movie. And I just, yeah. I understand that that didn't become a template in the same way that sort of the other things were sort of repeatable in a way. But to me, like that is just one of the most remarkable sequences in yeah. in, in movies. And especially yeah. if you've not just sort of like skipped to that part in the Blu-ray, but like you, you right. naturally like gotten there with everybody and just the, the sack it takes to make that turn at that point in the movie. Uh, anyway, very uh, any, great, 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 great. Good suggestion. <laughs> All right, Scott Tobias, uh, continuing along this this theme, actually, with a filmmaker you mentioned a moment ago, what is your number four film of 50? Yeah, so let's let's shift right into H.G. Clouseau. Um, in, uh, with Diablo- a Z, not, not an S, everybody. Not not Peter Sellers in the No, uh, not, not, not so Panther much. Uh, Clouseau, Clouseau and, uh, and uh, the, the, the clue that you could, you would not be able to confuse the two uh, Clouseaus, I will say, just uh, based on hg clouseau's reputation um uh, uh so so anyway the film the number four is diabolique une baignoire diabolique un costume d'homme diabolique une malle en osier diabolique clouseau was one of the you know i mean was the equivalent to hitchcock in France, uh, he did *The Wages of Fear*. He did *Le Corbeau*, uh, and then he did, he did this mo- movie, which I think Hitchcock had talked about it was, as his favorite film, maybe or at least one of his favorite films. Um, been a, it, it's been a bit since I've seen it, uh, but it is, um, you know, again, it's it's it feels like a precursor to to *Psycho* in certain respects, it, 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 in that it is about you know psychological horror. Uh, it feels like a, it feel it, it also has um it, it's about doubles and i you know it shifts in identity and a lot of you know a lot of you know aberrant behavior that just feels like that feel it feels very modern i mean if we, if we want to keep proto lynchian exactly <laughs> but i mean like this is that you know again we we if we wanted to, if you to continue to kind of puncture this myth of the 50s as being stayed and kind of right um uh you know not as radical as decades to come like you know Clouseau is really ahead ahead of the game uh, and and Diabolique is you know a very modern forward-looking uh thriller that that I think nonetheless is extremely satisfying um you know for any kind of a mainstream audience which again is also a Hitchcock thing Hitchcock was a people pleaser as well as an artist and and um and you know, I, I can remember the first time um, I saw Diabolique. Um, there's a particular moment involving a tub 
Um, and, yes. and, I, and, and I, and I, and it was just like, I couldn't breathe. It was just like a thing where I like, I got like, almost like, it was such a shock that I, like, I just got an immediate, almost like ice cream headache watching, <laughs> watching it occur because I didn't expect it to happen. And the way it's staged is just so, yeah. um, it's so, so scary and gripping. Um, so yeah, Diabolique is good. And I mean, you know, and Clouseau has been responsible for a lot of things I love. I mean, I, I think, I think Lake Corbeau is a really interesting portrait of the times and, and mm-hmm. kind of kind of the idea of sort of whisper campaigns and in, in, in a lot of in, you know a certain air of you know small town paranoia and and then the wages of fear is just like one of yeah. the one of, it's just an absolute all-timer uh, you know another you know, you know where it's just about a, a bunch of desperate guys trying to drive trucks full of nitroglycerin uh up a rocky <laughs> up a rocky road and and uh risking and you know you hit you hit a you hit a rock the wrong way you hit a bump and the, your truck explodes that one has yeah. an ending too uh, a month ago. <laughs> uh that uh that, that one has one of those endings where it's just like oh well it's over no it's not over there's something there's a little it's got a little bit of a twist at the end uh yeah. but uh i i uh i love this movie yeah no i do too i i, I had the uh the the un- i don't know maybe maybe not an unfortunate experience i saw the remake first oh with the sharon stone yeah the sharon stone which is you know not terrible but it ain't this right yeah. And, um, but you know, I think, I think actually seeing it first helped me sort of appreciate the greatness of the remake when I saw it. Um, I'm currently watching, uh, you know, wor- working my way through Columbo and there is a story and I don't know if it's apocryphal that, that the sort of initial idea conception for, for Columbo came from the detective character in this movie, mm. which I, I, I found fascinating. No, that makes sense. Doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the the thing we should mention before moving on from from Diabolique is the famous story about Diabolique and Psycho. Uh, Scott, I don't know if if you've heard it and would what would like to. Okay, great. Go for it. I get to do us. Okay, so the story goes, and again, some of this may be legend or publicity. You know, grill from the publicity mill or whatever grist from the publicity mill. But the story goes that after Psycho was released, <clears throat> a woman sent Hitchcock a, a letter uh, at his office at Universal and said, uh, Dear Mr. Hitchcock, uh, I saw Diabolique and uh, and uh, was terrified to ever take a bath again. Now I've seen your picture, Psycho, and now I'm terrified to take a shower. <laughs> Any suggestions? And Mr. Hitchcock wrote the woman a brief response, which wrote, Dear Madam, send yourself to the dry cleaners. <laughs> that's the story i don't know if it's true and i made the 11th hour decision not to try to do a hitchcock impression so i think we can all be thankful for that scott tobias yes. what is your number three movie okay of the year 1955 uh my number three is or debt the carl dreyer film <laughs> I mean, you talk about a director out of time. Uh, yeah. That was kind of the, that was always the case with Carl Dreyer. Never somebody with, with Passion of Joan of Arc, with all the way to Gertrude, his final film. He didn't make that many films, but somebody who, who, Almost, who you would almost believe had 
either never seen a movie or had kind of like ignore it like just was just the opposite of a trend follower you know, yes. he, he, you know <laughs> it, 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 i mean it, to, the, to the point where a movie like gertrude landed very poorly because it was just like what is what what year is this where, where are we in time that <laughs> this movie yeah. is being made and and Ordet has that quality to to an extent though i think you could probably link it a little bit to the the sort of atmosphere you might see in a ingmar bergman film right. um this is a film about about faith and family and 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 trying to and you know getting a sense of god's presence um Mm -hmm. and uh and also and also the possibility of of something miraculous and incredible um it it is you know it's uh it it, you know it's an austere film uh but i think an emotional experience as well uh it's it you know for a film that is that is challenging it's not it's not impenetrable it's a film i think with, with kind of a great spirit to it um and a great beauty um uh and uh and it's just it's such an interesting movie out of time i there was a there was a stretch there when i was a graduate student in cinema studies uh where where i was going to be i was going to dedicate a thesis do a thesis on or debt and then i decided that was going to be brutal and I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Uh, uh, then I shifted to Albert Brooks instead. Well, no, I, you know, I, I giggled when you said it, but actually the, the flip from, um, from Hordet to Albert Brooks is not a huge, you know, it's two filmmakers <laughs> grappling with mortality and sure. uh, morality and personal ethics and uh, yeah. God. And me, you know? me, and me, and me grappling with what I wanted to kind of, <laughs> just, you just know, spend. subject subject myself to for for a very long time. But, uh, yes. Do, do I want to go go through uh, Albert Brooks's old uh, Saturday Night Live uh, uh, shorts and <laughs> uh, and late night appearances, or do I want to kind of grind through uh, the uh, silent some of the silent work of? Uh, it's fine. Yeah. You know, I don't want to make it sound terrible because because right. again, obviously, I, if I if I if I wanted to do it to begin with, I'm an, I would I was an admirer of Dreyer. All right. Number two on your top five list, Scott. Oh boy. Uh, number two is the Douglas Sirk melodrama, All That Heaven Allows. Gorgeous. Their lives were worlds apart. Carrie's world was bound by the country club set, their smug pretensions and their spiteful gossip. Never too late, huh, Carrie? Line forms to the right. Howard, why, Carrie? I made up for you. Maybe you'd better stay right where you are. Ron's world was boundless. The great outdoors, the things that grow, and real people who give and take all that heaven allows of love and happiness. Getting back to this idea of color, um, it is a beautiful, beautiful film uh, to look at. Um, It has got... um, It's a film that, that, that was a... Of extremely direct influence on the on the Todd Haynes film Far From Heaven and also the Fassbender film Ollie Fury Eats the Soul. Um, it is about a it's about class. It's about womanhood. Um, it, it's about love. Um, and um, it, you know, and just in 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 you know the kind of social mores that 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 governed America at the time. I mean, this is a you know we talk about films that are out of time. This feels very much. A reflection of the time it right down to right down to this extraordinary 
scene where 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 uh, this this woman who's a widower, um, where her children who was she was seeing her gardener, um, her children buy her a TV. Television. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and the, presentation. Way that, the, the way Cirque kind of frames that is, is just amazing. But, um, uh, just, just <laughs> it's, not, like it's just, not even subtext there. It's that's no, text. It's just, just there. It's so, but it's just, yeah. it's just one of those things where like, you know what the meaning is, but like, it's just, yeah. it, it's clarifying rather than heavy handed. Totally. Um, and it's just a film that just breaks your heart. I mean, this is, these are, these are two people who, who care a great deal for each other, uh, who are facing, this this ter- this destructive whisper campaign um uh, that is you know which you know with their their lives their happiness is of no you know um impact on the, on the lives of the people who are keeping them apart but that's yeah. the way it goes and i think we can certainly feel that now in a lot of a lot of cultural spheres where it's just like people who are want to be who they are and uh and uh, who, whose happiness and, and well-being is of no business to the people who are trying to, you know, oppress oppress them and, and keep yeah. keep them unhappy. Um, I mean, we, we we can kind of see the connection between one era and the next, but um, but yeah, I just I, I do I, I I love this film. Um, I think it's 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 a it's a heartbreaker. It's it's a beautiful to look at. I think it's it's really Cirque at his absolute uh, peak. Yeah, you know, I I was late to Cirque. Um, I, I've I've only really started watching this stuff the last few years as it's uh, as the Criterion Blu-rays have come out, um, and uh, which is a great way to see them for the first time. But you know, at, at risk of asking a question that could sustain its own goddamn podcast, yeah. What is this? What is the secret here? To you know, he's he's these films could be so silly they could be so soapy they they could be jokes um and they they always have such resonance uh and are so affecting what do you think it was that he did in his approach to this stuff that makes it work the way as as devastatingly as it um is? i mean i think that he i think that it's persuasive the emotions are that in there in there it's it's very intense i mean it, it, it can be a problem if you see his films in repertory screenings uh um people you, it, they do elicit some um right. inappropriate laughter which is which is actually there was a uh, a um prof- a kind of critic and professor here in chicago who would who would actually just come out before screening one of those movies and say don't laugh at it please um <laughs> this is like because i mean you know and i think that if you i think you have to engage in in the fact that there's there's a heightened level of emotion there but there's also right. a great deal of insight i mean you really yeah i think that it's so hard to kind of to kind of depict um almost the invisible forces that are acting against these 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 two i mean and, and, and to really think about like the fact that say you know that what is expected of this woman is to is that she's going to grow old alone yeah you know and that and that and that it's somehow um sinful and vulgar and and you know uh, to to take up with someone else to have a you know a second love that that at that point in her life and and um you know so 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 i mean i, I think it's a, i think the films are engaging um on a thematic level as, as well. And, and, and visually they're very striking. You just have to kind of like, I think everything is just extremely heightened. Um, yeah. and, and I, th- I think if you're, if, if, um, 
you respect that and, and kind of get into get on that wavelength and then uh, be quite moving. Yeah. Well, I mean, and there's never a sense that he's condescending to the material. Um, the, the sincerity of yeah. the craft is just infectious, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. At, at least in my experience. No, okay. it's not, there's nothing synthetic about it. it, it no. He believes in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we are. Number one, the number yes. one movie of the year of our Lord, 1955. <laughs> Scott Tobias, what is it? It's the night of the hunter. Run. Hide in the staircase. Run quick. Ruby, shit. What do you want? I want them kids. I'm giving you to the count of three to get out of here. Then I'm coming across the kitchen shooting. The combined powers of Paul Gregory and Charles Lawton brought the King Mutiny Court Martial to Broadway. Now the screen receives that same creative, electrifying impact. The Night of the Hunter. The, the all-time, the greatest cinematic one-off in movie <laughs> history. Charles Charles Lawton off the top one rope. One and done, baby. One and done. Well, I mean, it, you know, the film was not successful. And it's just, right. the, you know, it's so, it's kind of James Agee script. Um, it, it is it is a film noir that is not like any film noir. Uh, it is a film of, of uh, extraordinarily rich um, photography and, and, and shadow and production design. Um, really striking got, to watch those two back to back too, to sort of see like the, 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 the height of, of sort of color cinematography of the fifties yeah. and then the sort of the, the, the peak of black and white cinematography. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that really just, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of a sucker just as a critic in general. Uh, I'm a, I'm a kind of a sucker for style. I, you know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously people like are moved by style, but like, it just was like, you know, when I, you know, and I'm sure we'll maybe talk about some other things that came out in the fifties, but like, when I, when I looked at the titles, it was just like the images and the colors and the, and the black and white. Yeah. Um, they really kind of like popped out at me. Uh, and, and there was just nothing like, I don't know if there's a noir as beautiful as, as, as Night of the Hunter. And, and, and it is a film that is so American too. And in, in its themes of, 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 uh, money and religion and, and violence and, and a perfectly timed shotgun. <laughs> very american very american yeah, right yeah right it's got all of that all of that uh going for it um and uh these ch children and uh they're they're innocent and just and also just the, the 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 war over what is righteous and who is who who is righteous and who gets to who gets to be the one to to step forward and, and make that make that claim so you have that tension between robert mitchum who is just at his absolute most charismatic best and and then and lillian gish who who uh Jeez. um who's again the casting there is extraordinary and and uh and she she represents a you know a much different reading of of the bible and what it's for and and uh what what how children should be treated how innocence should be treated and and um i don't know it is it's something it, it really is um, yeah uh, yeah that was uh you know definitely a, a number one I've seen it a few times, but this last time, you know, I, I took the the excuse to rewatch it uh, to prep for tonight. And uh -huh. I got to tell you, the, you know, the, there are so many sort of immortal moments in that. And of course, you know, the love and hate monologue being being the, the, the key one. But I just I found myself so pulled into 
that first scene where Mitchum and Gish face off and the sort of the delicacy of the performances in that scene in terms of, of him coming face to face for the first time with someone who sees through his bullshit Mm -hmm. and her conveying that and him trying to hide his panic. Each of them are doing, are acting on like three different levels in that scene. And it's just breathtaking. Like the style is astonishing in this movie, but just in that scene, all he has to do is, is cut back and forth between those close-ups, and you're just absolutely enthralled. Yeah. I mean, it's just that, yeah, the, the, level, the precision, the attention, the care, uh, attention to detail, I mean, the, in the casting and the photography and the in the storytelling, which I I, you know, I understand was was whittled down from a very, very, very long script that A.G. had written. Uh, you know, it's just... A.G.? It's, really? No. Get out. <laughs> I had never watched this one before. I watched it for the first time with my wife last night, and we're, like, on the couch, you know, and when she comes getting them out of the river... You know, get your ass up in the house, you know, and this kind of moment of just it's very hard when talking about the movie to convey how tense it is, yeah. like how, you know, in that in that scene, you know, the kids are in the basement and he's coming down. And, you know, I mean, it's very hard, like because there's so many things to talk about that are really great about that movie that it's easy mm-hmm. to sort of skip over. Like there's 20 minutes there that is genuinely like sweat on the forehead, like what the hell is going on? You know, and yeah. when that gets resolved, that is like what movies are better at than anything else. Yeah. You know, and th- having never seen this movie before, like this is a prime example of that thing. Yeah. And I mean, just what about what about all that all the sequences sequences where the kids are on the run and they're and, and you get all of that all of that stuff in nature and in the in the, the the use that like all, all all those images of the natural world and, and the way all of that is framed. I mean, that's just so haunting and. And then you get scenes like you know the wedding night scene right. with the with in just in the the just the disappointment and fear and of of this wife whose desire whose desires are being kind of kind of shamed and turned against her. It's just so, it's you know. I mean, God Almighty, I can't even imagine the you know the sexuality of our of. I mean, Robert Mitchum again is an actor who is uh, who projects a great deal of of sexual charisma, but but. Uh, the way that's utilized here and in, in a, in a, uh, you know, dark and sort of punishing way. It's just, it's, it's a kind of genius. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific picture. All right. This was a very, very good top five, Scott. Thank you for, for walking yes. us through it. Um, and, uh, and now that we've done that bit of business, let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money in the year 1955. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me, oh yeah, sell out with me tonight. The record company's only kidding. Starting off with a big list. Best picture, best director, Delbert Mann, best actor, Ernest Borgnine, best screenplay, Patty Chievsky, as well as the Golden Globe for best actor drama went to Marty. <laughs> I know that from the film Quiz Show. <laughs> <laughs> that was the answer that uh, John Turturro did not know, but he did know. <laughs> um scott where do you sit on marty i i you know it's i had you know i've it's a film i've never seen believe it or not that's the big hole that's the hole in the donut that's <laughs> all the other it's the it's the center i've never seen it what do you think it's have worth, you seen it i've seen it well it's a new york movie you know uh, uh shot oh, right, on location in a in a period when they weren't doing a lot of location shooting. yeah marty's, no, i've never seen marty's it. pretty great it's it's uh off oft imitated but rarely uh Rarely duplicated. What else did well at that year's Oscars, Mike? Best actress to 
Anna Magnani, Magnani, and the Magnani. That was a lot. Uh, that almost sounded like a parody. Best Actress to Anna Magnani, as well as Golden Globe for Best Actress Drama and for Best Supporting Actor Actress to Marisa Pavan for the Rose Tattoo. How do we uh, How do we feel about the Rose Tattoo, Scott? I haven't seen it. All right. I haven't seen that one. All right, moving on, because <laughs> I haven't either. So Jack Lemmon got the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Mr. Roberts. I don't think I've even heard of that. Oh, good. That, no, that's a good one. That's uh, John John Ford directed that one, uh, starring Henry Fonda, based on a long running Broadway play. And Jack Lim, it's like it's sort of Jack Lemmon's star making role. It's it was kind of his the the one that made him him, and he's great in it. It's a it's yeah, it's a good. There's a lot of names on it. When I looked that one up, I was like, where? Oh did yeah, I, I must have yeah. fallen asleep during. Mr. Roberts class. I don't know. Uh, best supporting actress to Joe Van Fleet, as well as Golden Globe for best picture drama went to East of Eden. That's, that's a fine, fine film. Scott, uh, yes. what, do, what do you think of East of Eden? I loved it. So, so, so uh, uh, East of Eden and Rebel Without a Cause both came out in 1955. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm telling you, man. And look, and look, and look, and look again. And look at the again at the style. Both films and both films in cinemascope. Right. One in one in beautiful color. One in one in striking black and white. Um, you know, both both of, of absolutely titanic emotions. I mean, big intense emotions. Both films. Um, yeah. So that's those are 1955. And that James Dean, uh, a little easy on the I eyes did. there. That fellow, yeah. A lot of charisma. A lot of charisma there. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. It, you know. And I, I feel like I feel like Rebel Without a Cause, and I feel like both of those films. Just I think Dean, in general, people imagine um, was alive uh, uh, later than he was. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't. He doesn't seem like mid fifties, but that that being the peak, but he was, and that, that, that means something. Yeah. Other significant award winners that year: Best Director at the Golden Globes went to Picnic. Picnic. Uh, Picnic is Herbert, good. Herbert Ritt. Is that Herbert Ritt? That sounds right. Oh shoot! I usually write that part down, and then that that time I didn't. Um, yeah, yeah. That's uh, picnic is 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 rich and uh, and well done. If if memory serves, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. But uh, uh, Josh, uh, Josh, Logan, Josh Logan, Logan, yes, right. Okay. Uh, do you did Joshua Logan paint your wagon? Was that Joshua Logan? Maybe Joshua Logan, if memory serves, also directed the original. Uh, stage version of Mr. Roberts, but uh, but was usurped for the film version by Jack Ford. Sorry, now I'm just doing bullshit. Maybe trivia. he was Go just ahead. busy making <laughs> an American classic picnic. Okay, perhaps so. Perhaps uh, so. <laughs> Golden Globe for Best Picture Comedy or Musical and Best Actress Comedy or Musical for Gene Simmons went to Guys and Dolls. I feel like we should uh, make clear to the listeners that that's J E A N Simmons. Uh, not repugnant kiss frontman Gene G E N E Simmons. I love Guys and Dolls, and I'm not a big sort of '50s musical comedy guy. Um, but I think Guys and Dolls is just a blast. I mean, I think a lot of it is in the source material or what have you. But it's fun, and Brando can't sing, but he's fun, and Sinatra's just like at his fucking peak in it. I really like Guys and Dolls. Yeah, Joe Mankiewicz. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm trying to think if there were any. Is there much in the way of musicals from that, from that, uh, 
I guess I guess there was I, I thought not a lot in this this year that I could see beyond that in terms of musical. Oklahoma came out that year. Um, was the other I think kind it's of big a, one. Beautiful. It's that's one. You know, nice to look at for sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. That was sure. the first commercially available seventy millimeter movie. We're not to Oklahoma yet. We're gonna get there. But okay. so when you say like nice to look at, like it was very intentionally nice to look at. <laughs> you know, I mean. Right, like they were like, I don't know if the songs are going to work or not, but we're going to take some pretty pictures. <laughs> uh, Golden Globe for Best Actor, Comedy, or Musical went to Tom Ewell for what may be the most, the movie most from 1955 more people have seen now than any other, Seven Year Itch. Is that yeah. a fair? Maybe not. Maybe uh, maybe Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. 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 Well, I, but I watched people aren't watching itch. for Tom Ewell. No, they're certainly not. I watched The Seven Year Itch for the book, and I was like, this is horrifyingly sexist, even for a 1950s comedy. <laughs> um, there's some fun stuff in it. And, you know, Marilyn's great, obviously, but like the whole premise of that movie is just like, Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor went to Arthur Kennedy for Trial, a movie I've never seen or heard of. Unring a Bell. All right. On All we right. go. Well, good for you, Arthur Kennedy. Uh, domestic box office top 10. Number 10 was I'll Cry Tomorrow. Nope. <laughs> okay. Number nine was a tie for Strategic Air Command, The Sea Chase, and The Seven Year Itch. Oh, I've, okay. We've discussed I've heard, I've heard, I've heard of one of those. No. I mean, this is this is what was striking to me about this top 10 is there are a lot of films in it that have just sort of like vanished to uh, to I mean, I'm sure these films have their fans. I'm just saying that's you know, justice, though. That's that's justice. Yeah. I mean, we, it, you know, that, that's the thing about that's the way that's the way movie history works. It's like it's there kept you go. Alive by, it's kept alive by the people who care. Yes. <laughs> Not by the people who, who, who paid money to see it at the time. Yes, exactly. And yeah. that is a philosophy in a sentence right there, friends. Yep. Uh, number eight, not as a stranger. Nope. <laughs> no. No number idea. Number seven, Picnic. Hey, which good we talked picture. about before. Josh that Logan directed that one. I don't know if you knew. He's a good... <laughs> I like that Josh Logan. Fine, fine filmmaker. Pete Logan. Yep. Uh, number six was Lady and the Tramp. Okay, now that one... Is that the cartoon one? Yeah. That is, in fact, the cartoon one... Uh, Came out in 55. Uh, 55 and changed spaghetti eating forever. <laughs> yeah. Very some, nice. Uh, Siamese cats in it. Yep. Oh, let's <laughs> yeah. not talk about that part. Okay, here we go. That's the one. Number five was uh, Guys and Dolls. Yep. Which we, we talked about with Mr. Sinatra. Number four was Oklahoma. As yep, mentioned, yep, yep. 70 millimeter, big production, yeah. very beautiful. Uh, yep. Number three was Battle Cry. Uh, okay. All right. Battle All right. Yep. All right. Uh, number two, titles. Mr. Roberts. Hey. Yep. Made some money. And number one. Okay, Scott, if you had to guess, what would you guess to be the number one? Because I never would have. The number one box office hit never of uh, would have. 95. You, I see the screen reflecting off your glasses. You can't look. No, I'm not doing it. I'm just, uh, I'm actually, I'm actually scanning uh, my uh, own uh, list of, of uh, films. It to ain't see on there. Potentially. It ain't on there. Uh, yeah, this one no, is a I, real curveball. Really? Yep. Mike, what is it? Hit me. Number one, box office, 1955. The wonderful Cinerama Holiday. Cinerama Holiday. You mentioned all the different cameras, and, and you know you mentioned that there was a lot of technological sort of experimentation wow. happening at Demo. the time. Cinerama Holiday, bro. It was working for a while. 
Wow. $29.6 million in 1955 money. Oh my God. To go watch a movie that is objectively fucking boring. And I love it. (laughs) And it's objectively boring. How many, how many venues could even like handle I mean, were there only just like a few who could even do Cinerama? It's, they, and one, they, of them, one of them was in Keith Phipps' hometown or something. <laughs> um, they, I'm sure they charged a healthy. Uh, you 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 know how much more it costs yeah. when you go go see a movie in 4DX or whatever. Right, exactly. Well, exactly. That's that's they they boosted those receipts with that. Yeah, Cinerama yeah. Holiday, number one movie of 1955. They did a Blu-ray release of it in 2013 and it starts off, you know, in like a, you know, like a a regular sort of SD box, you know, and then they like get on a plane and they're flying over the Alps and like the curtains open, you know, and and you get the full sort of Cinerama scope. Uh, It's about a, a, a European couple who come to America and an American couple who go to Europe. And the Europeans like bring a Vespa and try to like drive it to the Grand Canyon. It's fucking hilarious. Anyway, it's like it's mostly scenery. You know, it's sort of these 60s like tourism, like look at the pictures we took movies. And they're very hard to watch when like they go to the South Seas and they're like, they were cannibals until like two weeks ago. But when they're like in fucking Switzerland or, or, you know, Paris, a lot of it is in Paris. Like it's really great. It's beautiful. And it's it's really aggressively photographed. Like they had this, you know, the the idea of the cinemascope is that it was supposed to mimic your actual eyesight. Um, Your field of vision would, yeah. Right. And so like, you know, there's a whole scene at a roulette table where they put the camera like right in front of the wheel, you know, so the guy reaches for the wheel and spins it and everybody's cheering. And like, it is, it's aggressively photographed is, is I think really the only way to, but it's really, it's a, it's a cool movie. It's for, it's available for free on Canopy if you have a, a, um, a, a really large card. TV and a library card. Yes. And a really yeah, large say- curved TV, which I <laughs> yeah. happen to have. Yeah. I was going to say, the plot sounds suspiciously similar to Nancy Meyer's holiday classic, The Holiday. Um, But I'm sure that's just a coincidence. It's this guy, Phil DeLay, was the director. Him and his wife did a lot. They did. They made a whole career out of these, like, going around and taking photos of them, like, drinking wine in different places on the Riviera or whatever. Right. And mostly they're terrible. But Cinerama Holiday is pretty good. Nice work if you can get it, I got to (laughs) say. For real. All right, uh, Scott, you want to do a lightning round? Sure, hit me. All right, Mike put five minutes on the big clock for us. Scott, I'm going to just shoot you as many other 1955 releases as I can. If you've seen it and want to say a yay or nay or anything you have to say on it, if you haven't, you can just pass and we will move on. Here we go. Okay. Robert Aldrich's Kiss Me Deadly in 1955. Yeah, right on the right on the cusp. Uh, uh, one of the one of the great film noirs. One of the absolutely one of the darkest film noirs, and it it links right up to the the whole Cold War thing that was happening and a lot of uh, uh, paranoia about what was what uh, uh, the possibility of apocalypse. Also, also the source of the glowing suitcase in uh, Pulp Fiction. There you go. Beat me to it. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's Killer's Kiss. Uh, not one of his best, but, uh, he'd get there. He'd get there. He'd get there pretty shortly thereafter and start making one masterpiece after another. 
I like Killer's Kiss just because, again, shot on location in New York and way out of his control. Like, you know, he's shooting yeah. in like real locations and out in Times Square and stuff. And it's fun to see him trying to like, you know, the the being a run and gun filmmaker as opposed yeah. to in total control. The New York the New York of Eyes Wide Shut was somewhat less yes. on location. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. We mentioned him earlier in the show, but that year saw the release of Alfred Hitchcock's To Catch a Thief. Yes. I mean, absolutely. Hitchcock in his prime, never a film that you would, would include among his great films. Very much a, uh, a light. Yes. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, a little bobble of a film, but it's gorgeous to look at and a lot of fun. Yep. And then less than two months later, Hitch released The Trouble with Harry, one of his uh, atypical yeah, pictures. That was. I, I, I liked I liked that one fine. You, mm-hmm. you know, again, not one of, not one of my favorites, but clever. Um, uh, you know, it, it probably has more going on than I imagine. It's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, but uh, you know, it's got a it's got a great hook, and and uh, it, it's certainly a, a, a soft, strong contrast from what he was what he was doing in look and and in and in uh theme from uh to catch a thief that's for sure going out west uh we had the man from laramie in 1955 yes uh the man from laramie is the anthony mann uh movie with uh with uh, uh it's his last collaboration with jimmy stewart yeah um and it's it's one of those movies that kind of anticipated the anti-western way 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 before the anti-western happened so it's kind of a it's it's i mean the, all the stewart man films are worth yeah a look but uh, i think it's a pretty pretty strong example so that was that was definitely a honorable mention one for me john sturge's bad day at black rock so that one that one is unseen by me i know no mm-hmm. no no you, you, you've you've done quite well for 1955 i'll, I'll yeah. not gasp too loudly yeah summertime yeah. from director david lean uh I, I love it enjoy it immensely i uh it is it is uh, it is Catherine hepburn falling into the canal in uh, venice uh, it, i have a thing i think that a lot of lean's smaller films are really just as exceptional is is his yep. big ones uh my favorite yep. film of his period is brief encounter yep um Same. and uh Same. and in summertime is a, a delight another film um very beautiful to look at you know locations uh Catherine hepburn at, at you know yeah is charming yeah I, i'm a fan no another one that i saw for the first time recently because of a criterion blu-ray release they're doing good in the world scott tobias yeah, they are i know i know moving overseas french cancana Yes, yes. This is this is Renoir. Um, yes. uh, Renoir. There was a huge like Renoir box set that came out uh, that had for, had that one and it had Moulin Rouge and it had can't remember the third one, but but I I reviewed those for the reviewed that set for the AV Club and and loved watching going through those. Those were a lot of fun. All right, and our last one for uh, for the lightning round from Orson Welles, the odd and hard to see uh, in its in hard to know what the fuck form to watch it in, Mister Arkaden. Nope, I haven't seen it. Well, shit, we're not ending with one you haven't seen. Okay, okay Lola wait. Montez. Yes, Lola Montez. God Almighty. Yes, this is uh, legitimately one of the most beautiful looking films you'll ever see in your life. Um, it is it also utterly heartbreaking it is is it, it, i know that it's it, 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 it's it, 
flawed and it's incomplete and it's it, you know i know that there's a lot of things you can kind of like i think you chip away at a certain at certain things about it but but it is i think i think it's uh, yeah like i said one of the most beautiful films you'll ever you'll ever lay your eyes on i think its central story is is uh heartbreaking um and uh and yeah that was another one that was right on the cusp of the top five i, I really really love Olamante, so people should see that one for sure Beautiful. All right. That ends our lightning round. You did very well, Scott Tobias. Very well indeed. Tried. Yes. All right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for, for walking us into the fifties. Um, anything you want to plug anywhere that people should be following you to read your work? Um, I mean, I, you know, I guess the main thing is just the, is, is the reveal that the, this, this uh, newsletter that I do with Keith Phipps, it's something that we put a pretty huge amount of effort into. I think we've built up a really good subscriber base uh, it's the reveal.substack.com. Uh, you know, I'd encourage you to to just to look at it for free. If you get a lot of stuff in, under the free subscription, and if you want to, if you if you like it, and it's it's for you. Then then uh, think about subscribing because uh, there are some benefits there too, including a really good uh, comment community. We have uh, a, you know, it's a real oasis of uh, of good film discussion. People getting along very well, and 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 uh, it's 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 casual, but it's thoughtful, and and uh, really everything that we want from you want from like a, a comic community so we're hoping to grow that some more and 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 make this into a kind of a oasis for film lovers like the dissolve was back in, in its time but obviously on a smaller scale yeah no I, I you know i've i say this whenever we have a guest with a newsletter on is i had, i don't read a lot of newsletters but i read this one and i i appreciate what you guys do i've i've been reading you since the av club days and a lot of kind of what I wanted to be as a critic was informed by, by what you guys were doing over there. So it Thank means you. a lot. It means a lot to have you on the show and, and to, to share your knowledge with us. Oh, thank you. It was no, I mean it. Out. I'm sincere. See, I know sincerity. you are. I know you. I can't I'm take Douglas it. I'm Cirque over here and you're the guy giggling at the rep screen. I know. I, know. I, I mean can't, it. I, I can't take it. I can't. I, I can't absorb any of this. This is not good. Uh, but I appreciate it. And th- thanks for having me on. This was a lot, this was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Folks, remember, uh, if you enjoy this program and uh, would like more people to hear it, and who wouldn't, uh, please do take just just the briefest amount of time out of your day to to rate us or even jot down a few words in a review type format uh, on your podcatcher of choice and let people know what a fine, fine program we've got on our hands here. Uh, In the meantime, if you'd like to follow us on social media such as it is, I'm Jason Dash Bailey on Twitter. I'm Fun City Cinema on Instagram. Mike? I am Brainwashed Lib on Twitter. And Mike, uh, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 1955? My favorite movie is called Man uh, with the Atom Brain, and it is about a mobster who gets out of prison and he joins up with a ex-Nazi scientist to create a sort of Frankenstein-like zombie character. Uh, but it's actually done through chemistry because it's the 50s instead of electricity because it wasn't the 1800s, you know. Um, and they they also have like a way to control these zombies and they use them to go after the people who snitched on the mob boss. And it is everything it sounds like, but also it's really well done. The acting is great. The script is great. They're all straight face. They take it totally fucking seriously. And it is the ninth, like the the big goofy 1950s sci-fi movie that you think of. Only it's it's actually they did it right. Man with the Atom Brain. It's fantastic. And how about you, Jason? You, oh, I will say I relish the chances when 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 I get to get a recommendation from you 
Uh, I've not seen the man with the atom brain, but I've consider me fucking sold. Um, I'm going to be much less interesting and go with kiss me deadly, which I just think is, is about as, as bleak and uncompromising and nihilistic and noir picture as they as they come. And that's saying something. Uh, so that's, there's my pick. Uh, thank you again, Scott. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. It was a very